discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything he is, that is why he told Abraham, he said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boateng as Christ is magnified in you. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity you always give us. Thank you for the privilege to sit at your feet, Father, and to listen to your word. And Father, thank you for this morning that your, your spirit is dispensing unto us that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This blessed morning, the eyes of our understanding are enlightened to know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the same. Blessed Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you here. You are our helper, our paraclete. We lean on him. Jesus in our eyes. Good and move and hoover on us one more time. Thank you for your glorifying testifying ministry on our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, the Son of God. Amen. Come up here, seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. Bless the Lord for today. You know God has planned this day. And uh, we are glad to be here to fellowship with all of you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And to see all your faces. Some of the faces I've not seen before. But one thing I know is that every face is a lovely face here. <laughs> Hallelujah. And uh, Pastor John, good to see you. And all the leaders and the pastors, good to see all of you. Hallelujah. And uh, God bless you all for what you are doing for the Lord, especially the pastors and the leaders and the, your faithfulness to stand with the bishop in this great commission. God is going to reward you. Hallelujah. And God has given you the loveliest bishop in the world. <laughs> the way bishop is, I mean, he's a shepherd with a staff. He's down to earth. He's practical. He's reachable. He's touchable. He's approachable. Yes. So, I wonder if you are the bishop, 
I someone will leave Bishop. It's one of the mysteries I'm yet to understand. Yeah, because Bishop is so loving. Maybe you have not been in many places. You would have really understood what I'm talking about. Yeah. Not every pastor is like Bishop. Yeah. Laugh with you, stand with you, chat with you, want to know what's your, what, about your life, caring for you. It's this. Yeah, it's this. There are many generals but few shepherds. Not everyone can just work with a pastor. pastor. It doesn't happen in many places. Yeah, but you can work with him at every time. Yeah. Yeah, and he's always thinking about you, thinking about you, caring about you, caring about you. Yeah. yeah. So that's the golden heart he has. Hallelujah. So always when we're talking about shepherding and pastoral ministry, he's our reference. Yeah, he's our living case study. Yeah. Everywhere we talk about him. Praise God. Yeah, that's the grace he has. Yeah, that's the grace he has. I wish I had that grace, but <laughs> praise God. Yeah, so it's such a blessing. And the for love economy, love economy is big in quality and in quantity. Yeah. I'm telling you, we speak what we know. Yeah. What is happening is still, is still part of the beginning of love economy. Yeah. The impact is going to be massive. Yeah. Oh, very soon when we come to Spinter's Church. Oh, Marabat Karabashanta. I know I couldn't say it. I have to just speak in tongues. Amazing. Yeah. So all that you are hearing, all the teaching is for your training. Because uh, it's almost like every member here is a leader of what is coming. Hallelujah. So you are in a good place. It's such a good place. Yeah. Hallelujah. Such a blessed place. And we are glad to be here. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. Turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3. Let's read 18. 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with open face, a lot of version uses the word unveiled, unveiled face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Can we all read it together? One go. Thank you. Do you have ASV? Let's let's see ASV, what ASV says. So we'll keep ASV. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding us in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as from the Lord, the Spirit. Praise God. 
So I'm speaking on the subject transformed into his image. You read the Bible and you realize that the word image and glory most of most of times together. Image and glory. Image and glory. Image and glory. Image and glory. They appear together in many, many places in the Bible. And then the Father has his image and his glory. The Father. The Father has image and his glory. But Jesus Christ is the image and the glory of the Father. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is the image and the glory of the Father. Now I want to show you this blessed Saturday morning how you can be transformed into his image from glory to glory. From glory to glory. Now, image, what is image? Now, image is different from likeness. Most of the time, some people are talking about image, they end up talking about likeness. You know, God made man in his own image and likeness. But image is different from likeness. Now, image speaks of God's personality, his, his personality. Image is always intrinsic or inherent or it is within. Image is always within. Image describes inward quality. Inward quality, personality, God's essential attribute, who God is in Himself. So, image is within, intrinsic. It speaks of personality. Yeah, personality. But likeness is outward. Likeness. See, likeness. So, for instance, in Romans 8.3, the Bible speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ that he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Jesus Christ came, not in the image, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. That means that he came like us. So when you, saw, when you see Jesus, you wouldn't know he's God. He was so human that none of his brethren even believed him. Aha. Uh-huh. So when you saw Jesus, the Bible says he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. But within, he was God. But outwardly, he was in our likeness. Have you seen the Bible, the scripture that says that? Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not appear unto us what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We shall be like him. We shall be like him. First John 3, 2 and 3. We shall be like him. But the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. It is within. As he is, so are we in this world. It's our spirit. In fact, we are just like Jesus in our spirit. Not in our souls, in our spirit. The transformation is in our souls. We are just like Jesus in our spirit. As he is, so are we. Yet the Bible says we shall be like him. That is physical, physically, outwardly. So likeness is always external. It's outward. Like the Bible says that um, our citizenship is in heaven. From whence we look for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies, Philippians 3.20, that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body, 
So when the Lord comes for us, our body will change to be like his likeness. Hallelujah. Yeah. So inward transformation, the, the word is normally metamorpho, but outward transformation is metaschematizomai. Yeah. Just to dis- distinguish between the two. So image is within. Hallelujah. So your personality has to do with your image. But you see, God, God made man in his image and likeness. But Adam was in God's image, but that was not the climax of God's image. Even when the Bible says image, there are differences. <laughs> Adam was made not in the climax of God's For Adam, you see the, the, the hand. You see, you see the human hand. When you see a glove, you think of the hand. You, you understand? A glove is made in the image of the hand to contain the hand. Yeah. Adam was made in the image of God to contain God. So for Adam, it's like a photocopy. But for Jesus, Jesus is the image of God. Not like Adam. Jesus is the image of God. Hebrews 1 verse 3. Hebrews 1 verse 3. Who being the effusions or the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person. You see? Who being the effusions, King James says, the brightness of his glory, and the very image, the express image of his person. That means the express image of his person. That word means Jesus is the impress of God's substance. Jesus is the stamp of who God is. When it comes to Jesus, he is the precise reproduction of who God is. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah, like Adam, he himself is the precise reproduction of who God is. The stamp of God's substance, the imprint of his substance. Yeah. He himself is God, not like Adam. Uh-huh. He himself is God. So here, when you saw image, you also saw glory. Is that not so? Glory and image happens a lot. So now, Hope you understand image and likeness. Yeah. Yes. And Adam is in the image of God, but you see, due to the image of God, have you realized that in the beginning, God said, Let us make man in what? Our. The, 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 the pronoun is plural. Genesis 1 26. In our plural. Quick, Genesis 1. Let us make man in our. It's plural own image and after our that's a trinity alright this look at God created man in his there's a grammatical problem here in his own image it should have in their own image is that not so in their own image because previously he says let us make man in our in our haven't you read me before <laughs> yeah, that's why when you are reading the Bible, you shouldn't be chewing gum. <laughs> you shouldn't be yawning. There are some people when you are reading the Bible, they check the number of the, the chapter, how long it is. It's long ago. 
to see whether they should continue or not. When the chapter is short, wow. They are alive. <laughs> How many of you are guilty? <laughs> so previously he says, our, our. Plural. So God created man in his own image. The Bible doesn't say in their own image. It's amazing. Why? The answer is in Colossians 1.15. Colossians 1.15. Who is the image of the invisible God? So actually, <laughs> the image of the Godhead is Jesus. <laughs> the image of <laughs> the image of the Father and the Spirit is Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus. <laughs> so you see, God said, let us make man in our image. So he ended up making man his image, and the word his speaks of Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. Because Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. That means that if you want to know who God is, just look at Jesus. Everything about God is Jesus. Okay. So image deals with the personality, the inward essence, who God is. Even his attribute is part. But glory is the expression of his image. When that image, who God is, is unveiled or revealed, the expression and the revealing or the manifestation is called glory. Example. See, there are lights in this room, is that not so? If we off the light, we cannot say there is, there is no electricity. There is. There is electricity. But electricity is confined and hidden. Although it's in the building, it's hidden. But when you put on the light, the light you see here is the glory of electricity. Uh -huh. It brings into manifestation what is hidden. Yeah, so it is this light is electricity glorified. The glory of electricity. So God is hidden, God is confined, God is conceived. God is hidden and God is conceived. But Jesus is the glory. He unveils all that God is, his characteristics, his personality, everything about God. The expression and the revealing of who God is, is the person Jesus. So, when Jesus walked the earth, everything about him is what, is what God will do. Jesus is the will of God in action. Because Jesus himself is God. So if you want to know the image of God, it's all about Jesus Christ. Hmm. They caught someone, the Pharisees caught someone in adultery, in a very act. They brought him to Jesus. According to the Lord Moses, he had, he had to be stoned. So what will God do in that situation? What Jesus did is what God did. Yeah. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That act was just... When we, see, when we say the glory of God, it's too vast to even explain. It's all about God revealed to us. It's too profound. For instance, when Moses said, you know, Moses prayed and said, oh Lord, show me that glory. You know what God said? I will make all my goodness to pass before thee. He calls his glory his goodness. I'll make all my goodness pass before you. Yeah. So even God's goodness is his glory. God's kindness, his love, is his glory. 
God's patience, God's long-suffering, all of this is part of his glory. We call it the riches of his glory. Uh-huh. It's like when you're cooking make a stew. A lot of things, stuffs, ingredients come together to make the stew. All the riches of whether it is patience or kindness or long all those things together, we call the glory. They are the riches of his glory. So if you want to see God, just, just, just look at Jesus. You see, they brought the little children to Jesus to pray. But Jesus would pray for them. You know what he did? He lay hands on them. But he went further. He took them and put them on his lap and prayed. If you examine carefully, any request that came to Jesus, he exceeded it. That's how loving he is. The disciples said, no, 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 don't, don't worry the master. But he put them on his lap. It's Jesus. Look at the leper that came to Jesus. That leper had been quarantined for a long time. Under the Old Testament, you touch a leper, you are defiled. He came to Jesus and said, if you are willing, just make me whole. He knew Jesus was able, but asked whether he was willing, he didn't know. So he said, if you are willing, Jesus said, I'm willing. And Jesus touched him. Because he had not had any human touch for a long time. All of this is God's glory. That means, you see, God cares for you. Jesus was healing every sick person. It's part of his glory. He wants to heal every diseased person. That's his goodness. That's his kindness. That's his compassion. The first time in his public ministry, he went to a wedding. There was a shortage of wine. The Bible says he turned water into wine to show off his glory. Why? In his glory, he doesn't want to see you in need. Yeah, in need. So those of you preparing for a wedding, don't worry. Jesus is the midst of you. Nothing will run, will run dry. Hallelujah. Directly, Pastor Michael, I thought you would be the first person to receive the prophecy. <laughs> you are having a wedding, and they say the chicken is finished. Because you were expecting 200, and those who came were 400. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but God cares. God cares. Remember my, my wedding, the things nearly ran dry. But so God spoke to a lady and she made extra pastries for 200 people. Wow. Because they said, the people they were said, they said personally were 1,200 people. How many of you want to have a wedding with such number of people? <laughs> but they prepared for a thousand. I don't know where the people came from. Thousand. But someone, God had put it on the heart of someone. That's what God will do for you. <laughs> Jesus went to someone's wedding. It, by turning water into wine, he manifested his glory. God cares. God cares for all your needs. Look at the woman with the issue of blood. This woman. According to the laws of Moses, she had not had any touch for 12 years. If she had Kate, no one had come close to him, to her, for 12 years. If she had a husband, the husband had not touched her for 12 years. Can you imagine? And if she ran, it's an abomination for her to run publicly whilst others are there. Yeah, because if they find her out, she'll be stoned. To death. No, no, they don't leave you half dead. 
Yeah. Yeah, without God, even your resurrection will be a problem. <laughs> that is why she went to steal. That's why she had to, had to hide herself. And Jesus said, someone had touched him. Because ah, what she deserved was stoning. Because he's broken the law. To come public. You don't do that. But what was Jesus' response? Jesus called her daughter. Daughter. That's amazing. And Jesus turned, she was at her back, turned to face her. That's the love of God in manifestation. Jesus, have you ever seen Jesus in fear before? Even in the midst of the storms, he was asleep. I'm, I'm telling you on a pillow that the boat was reeling to and fro. If you study it in Greek, it, it's, it's amazing. More happened, but he was asleep. No room for fear. That's the glory of God. And the disciples blamed him for what he has not done. They tapped him and said, don't you care? What has he done? Don't you care that we are perishing? If it was you, you know what would have done? You would have stood up. What have I done? Am I the one who caused the waves? <laughs> yeah, you would have easily defended yourself. Why, why, why? Peter, why do you allow them to wake me up? Uh-huh. And all of them corporately were blaming Jesus. Think while he was asleep. And when he woke up, you can see his moral excellence. He didn't even give attention to the blame. He just looked at the problem and attacked the problem and said, Peace be still. And never spoke about how they blamed him. That's his perfection. <laughs> the 5,000 men who came to him, those who were hungry, by the way, they were not 5,000. Uh-huh. The Bible says men. The word for men is anthropos. But the Bible is the word andres. Andres speaks of heads of families. So it's 5,000 heads of families, family heads. Yeah, it's Andres, it's not Anthropos, so it's not men, it's heads of families. So scholars believe that they were about 40,000. Yeah. And these guys, a lot of them, they came with ulterior motive, not because they wanted him. He knew that motive, yet he gave them food. That's how wonderful Jesus is. <laughs> it's amazing. Even when he was on the cross in his highest pain and suffering, he saw the man and saw John and said, Son, behold your mother. Behold your son. He was given, handing over the care of Mary to John. Church history tells us that John took Mary home and lived with her till Mary died. Even in John's itinerant ministry, for a long time, wherever he went, he took Mary. So even at the height of pain, some of you, if you are in pain, even in leadership, you want the whole world to pause and everyone to consider you. Yeah, let the world. You want the world to revolve around you. Uh-huh. Sometimes even a little stomach problem. You want everyone to just consider you. But <laughs> and get so moody. You get so moody. And people sometimes use their moodiness to manipulate their spouse. Either for more money or for attention or something. <laughs> but how can you be in the height of pain like that? 
When Jesus was going to the cross, Gethsemane, he said, if it was possible, take this cup. He wasn't dreading the, the sufferings. What he dreaded was he was going to partake of sin, the nature of sin for the first time. Deity, the Christ only God, partaking of sin. We have no idea. That's why he said, let this cup pass me by. In the height of pain, there is stri- the stripe that came upon him. Now, he was caged, of course. But the stripe that came upon him were actually unseen. The real sufferings of Jesus is not what we saw physically. Yeah. Yeah. There are three degrees of his suffering. Another time I'll talk about it. In, in Leviticus, there was a male offering in the pan, in the frying pan, in the, in the oven. Degrees of sufferings on the cross. The height of suffering was the ones we couldn't see. That is when all our guilt and condemnation and sin and pain came upon Jesus for those three hours. No one could see it. <laughs> Won't get to heaven when we watch the video. <laughs> In pain, he said, Behold your mom. That's serious. He did not repudiate or forsake responsibility, although he was suffering. That's great. That's his glory. Hallelujah. Yeah. He's always caring. He's always loving. He's just a... We see his glory. Now we see his moral glory. That's his hum- the perfection of his humanity. We see his essential glory. The expression of his deity. We see so We see his um, acquired glory. What gives us in his finished work. We see his official glory. His, the offices he worked in. His priestly offices and kinship and all that. Hallelujah. So Jesus is the, is, the, is, is the perfect man. There are people who are firm, but they are not free. Others are free, but they are not firm. But Jesus can be both steel and velvet at the same time. There are those who are bold, but you cannot tell whether they are bold or proud. You know, you see someone who is bold, but within the boldness, there are elements of pride. There are people who are humble, but within him, humility is timidity. You understand? With humanity, there's always a mixture. <laughs> but Jesus is the perfect man. <laughs> yeah. You can't come to Jesus and talk ill about someone to him for him to have a negative picture about the person you're talking against. Praise God. Alright. Back to 2 Corinthians 3. Now. Let's start from verse 6. Who also has made us able ministers of the new covenant, of the new testament, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. Now, Paul in this chapter was all addressing, the, um, he was talking about the new covenant. The new covenant. The new covenant. But the central theme was glory. He was talking about glory, 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 and, and image. But you see, in the old covenant, God's glory was manifested, but God could not manifest his full glory. His full glory could not be manifested because man had sinned. Man had sinned, and uh, God could not unleash all of his glory, 
All the glory were actually in glimpses. He couldn't unleash it. All of his goodness, he couldn't unleash it. Until the time of the new covenant. Because we are under a better covenant. Praise God. When we say glory, it's not like something is manifesting in the sky or the pillar of cloud and the pillar. They were all glory, but you may think they were higher. They were actually far, far lower as compared to us. Far, far lower. Praise God. Now, he says that God has made us able ministers of the New Testament. Say, I'm an able minister. Yeah. He has qualified us to minister the New Testament. He, we are not sufficient in ourselves, or we are not competent, or we, we are not worthy in ourselves. But He has qualified us. We have been qualified by God. God is our qualification. Don't think God is using you because of something special about you. Yeah. He Himself has qualified you. Don't think it because you can, sit, you can speak better English. God is obliged to use you. It's a lie. Uh-huh. Don't think that uh, you are from a better family, so God should use you. Or you began from Sunday school, so God should use you. Uh-huh. Sometimes if God wants to, wants to use you, sometimes your abilities are even a hindrance. Yeah. For instance, if you can speak great English and speak well, like when you speak English, everyone is baffled. When God calls you into, into ministry, your greatest hindrance in ministry will be your language, will be the English language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it is easier for God to use a stammerer to preach the gospel than someone who is eloquent. You know why? The one who is eloquent will feel that, oh, I have it. So always, he doesn't even need to prepare much or pray much. He will go in the energies of his strength and lean on himself and his own ability to preach. But the one who cannot speak will go on his knees. Oh Lord, oh Lord, I lean on you. I depend on you. And through his brokenness, God manifests his glory. That's how God uses us. So your minuses, what you cannot do actually is God's qual- is, is your qualification. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And some of you, your strength, God will take it through the cross so that you will not lean on yourself again. Verse 7. But if the ministration of death, written and engraved on stones, came with glory, oh, Marama Shande, so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly upon the face of Moses for the glory of his face, which glory was passing away. The next verse, how shall not rather the ministration of the Spirit be with glory? For if the ministration of condemnation hath glory, much rather doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For verily, that which has been made glorious hath not been made glorious in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth, King James, or surpasseth. Hallelujah. Please, are you here? Now listen. These verses I've read is the conclusion of the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's a summary. It's a summary. Now, Paul summarizes the Old Testament with two words. And summarizes the New Testament with two words. Praise God. Now, he calls the Old Covenant, he calls it the administration of death, number one. Number two, the administration of condemnation. From verse 7. 
So, the Old Testament has two designations, two descriptions. The Old Testament is called the ministry of death. It is called the ministry of condemnation. That's the Old Testament. It began at Sinai. When the law was brought, that day, the time the law was brought, people died. People died. The law always condemns. Always condemns. So it is called the ministry of death. Can you imagine? The ministry of death. With the law, Moses was ministering death and condemning the people. With the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. That is what the Old Testament is. It's called the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation. Hallelujah. How about the new covenant? How many of you want to know what the new covenant is? Two descriptions from these verses. He says, How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? It is called the ministry of the Spirit. Or the ministration of the Spirit. That's in verse 8. Then in verse 9, it is called the, the ministration of righteousness. So the New Testament has, has two descriptions or designations. It is called the ministry of the Spirit, then the ministry of righteousness. The ministration of righteousness or the ministration of the Spirit. So there are two things that prove that you are in the New Testament. Now, to walk in the reality of the New Testament, it takes two things. Number one, it takes walking in the Spirit. Now, when you walk in the Spirit, you are in the New Testament. Secondly, if you are conscious of righteousness, your righteousness in Christ, you are in the New Testament, the New Covenant. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's what he calls it. The ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness. Say the Spirit. And say righteousness. That is the New Covenant. Now he's saying that. He's talking about glory. Now, the Spirit is the essence and the substance of the new covenant. Righteousness is the expression. So, if you open your heart, you, you make room to the Spirit, you begin to walk in glory. And you are conscious of your, your righteousness in Christ, you begin to walk in glory. That's the New Testament. Now, Let's read from verse 8. How shall not the ministry of the Spirit be rather glorious? Verse 9. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness, that's what, exceeding glory. Alright. Let me show you how the Greek is. The Greek says that for if the ministration of condemnation came in glory, that's a Greek. Came in glory. If the ministration of condemnation came in glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness abound or exceed in glory. That's a Greek. The Greek says it, it came in glory. The Passion translation says it, it was ushered in glory. Okay. So now there's a comparison between the Old Testament, which is the ministry of condemnation, and the New Testament, which is the ministry of righteousness. And we are comparing glory. Uh -huh. And the Bible says that. In the Old Testament, when the Testament, the day that covenant was enacted, you see, at Mount Sinai, that ministry of condemnation came in glory. But he's saying that the ministry we have now, which is the ministry of righteousness, <laughs> it exceeding glory. Now, 
What is the difference? How many of you here came with Uber or taxi to church? All right. But is the Uber for you? Okay. Who came with a taxi? Is a taxi for you? Okay. This is it. Now, you came to church in a taxi, but the taxi is not yours. It's gone. That is what is written here. The administration of condemnation when the law was given, it came in glory. But that doesn't mean it, that glory is for, is, is for it. <laughs> it came in glory. <laughs> but if I say, oh, Pastor John, Reverend John has many cars. <laughs> if I say he's exceeding in cars, he's abounding in cars, what does it mean? Hebrew. Uh-huh. So first, the ministration of condemnation came in glory. Hmm. <laughs> it's a taxi, but the ministration of righteousness abounding. That one is not taxi; it's Rolls Royce, Bentley, <laughs> Rolls Royce, Bentley, and uh, Escalade. You know, <laughs> it has so many. Exceeding and abounding, and abounding in glory. All right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, the glory of God. God has always been wanting us to experience his glory. But this glory is better experienced in a new covenant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because this new covenant, the Bible says, by the spirit and by righteousness, the glory is much more. So we can experience this, this glory in righteousness that is given to us in, this, in the spirit. We can experience the glory I have spoken about. This glory is God's glory. I'm talking about all that I spoke concerning Jesus. Together is God's glory. Praise God. All that I described about our Lord Jesus is, is glory. But it's given to us. But it, it is accessible by the new covenant. Especially by two ways, the spirit and righteousness. Because the Bible says that this righteousness that is a gift that is given to us, it exceeds in glory. It has so many of the so much. I don't know whether I should say many or much of the glory. The next verse, let's see what it says. Verse 10. Hey, straight to Jonah. Please keep us in the new covenant. No, I said verse 10. For verily that which has been made glorious. Yeah. For even that which was made, made glorious, thus the minister of condemnation, had no glory. You think it had glory? It had no glory in this respect. By reason of the glory that expelled, he's talking about righteousness. Uh-huh. In context, the word excelled is hyperbalo, and hyper is where we get the word hyper or super. Hyper actually means over, above, and beyond. And balo is like you want to shoot an arrow to textbook, it ends up being in the tamale or somewhere. That's the word balo. So the glory that excelled, the glory of righteousness is too much to think about. How many of you want to experience this glory? 
All right. But you see, I want you to say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And say, God's glory belongs to me. Yeah. And I want you to say, I have the, I have the sentence of righteousness. Is there anyone who has been in a prison before? But you were in prison. You see, the Bible says in Romans 6, in Romans, son is a noun, not a verb. So we're actually, the Bible says we're servants or we're slaves to son. Actually, we're in a prison called son. All of us were in a prison called son. Uh-huh. And when we're in that prison, we have to set the sentence of sin. You know the sentence of sin? Sicknesses, diseases, poverty, depression, anxiety, fear, worry, accident. Let's put this on you. Come on. <laughs> Frustration. <laughs> All the negative things you can think about. Broken heart. It was a sentence of sin. It came on us automatically. We were seven sons sentence. The sentence of sin. You know why? All of the sicknesses and the poverty and the disease and the fear and the frustration is summed up in one word. No glory. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory. Yeah, so when the glory left, that's when we served all of these things. We're serving a sentence of sin. But now in Christ, there's a prison transfer. The same Romans 6 tells us that we are now in a new prison. <laughs> it is called the prison of righteousness. The Bible says now we are slaves or we are prisoners to righteousness. We are now in a, a new prison house. It is called righteousness. And we are supposed to serve the sentence of righteousness automatically. Now, what is the sentence of righteousness? <laughs> Health, peace, joy, good marriage, wealth, riches. Ah, I've mentioned health three times. Good health. <laughs> <laughs> long life. Yeah, long life. Yeah. Favor, everything like that, it should follow you automatically because you are serving the sentence. You see, if you know about righteousness, when, when you, are, you are not feeling well, you don't go to God and say, Oh Lord, please, will you heal me? Lord, please heal me. It's all right, but you have to graduate. It's your sentence, it's your right. It's not like whether God wants, wants to heal you or not. It's your right. It's, it's, you're under that sentence. It must happen automatically. The way sickness happens automatically. You're under a new sentence. Uh-huh. All the blessing of, the, of righteousness is encapsulated in one word. We call it glory. You see, all have sinned and fallen short. One version says, and forfeited the glory. That is why we said all those sentences. But now in righteousness, all the glory is restored. So all the good things is in one word, glory. That's why it says now, this righteousness, it's exceeding glory. Yeah, this righteousness gives you good health, 
It gives you good marriage. You begin to walk in love. You begin to walk in health. You begin to walk in all the good things. As a seed of Abraham, joy unspeakable and full of glory. It is yours forever, yours for the taking. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's where we are now. It's like him. Um, normally, I try to demonstrate righteousness. It's not my plan. I'll do it another time. But let me just do it briefly. Okay. Let me show you the covenant of righteousness. As long as I come. As long as I can come. I'm strong. It's a sentence of righteousness. <laughs> I've done it before. You know, in a covenant, like God entered it into covenant with Abraham. Okay. So that is in Genesis 15. In a covenant in those days, two people will stand here, one person will stand here, and they will be slain beasts left and right. And they walk and exchange their places. Then they are in a covenant. That means all that I have is now yours, all that you have is now mine. And this is a poor illustration. I'll do it another time in a, in a better way. Now, this is Jesus. No, face, face yourself. Don't leave the covenant. <laughs> now, Jesus, this is what happens. This is, this is a, where is Jesus? Okay, you are, you are Jesus. <laughs> yeah, because you are in gold. <laughs> so this is the sinner. Okay, this is the sinner. So let me show what happens. So Jesus now take his place. Don't, don't go now. Jesus now took his place. Yeah. So everything he has done, or he will do, from the day he was born, the day he will see Jesus face to face, all of his sins were put on him. Yeah, Jesus took it. Then everything he deserves as a sinner, all his death, all the chaos, all the frustration came on him. Praise God. All right. So, and, and God gave him, now God gave him his place. Now, his place was called sin, but this place is called righteousness. Everything he deserves, Jesus deserves, is now yours. Because Jesus took everything you deserved. So everything Jesus deserves is now for him. All that Jesus has is called glory. Together it's called glory. And now he's in Jesus' place. So where he is now? The Father now treats you like you treat Jesus. It's called righteousness. The Father, if, if you know this, your life is blessed forever. That's how the Father is now treating you. When Jesus took your place, your place, the Father treated Jesus as you. Once and for all. Now he's treating you as his son, Jesus Christ. Whatever he is, you have become in the Father's eyes. So now you are in the realm of glory. Hallelujah. Please, you understand this piece of, yeah, very important, very important, hallelujah, all right, we are going to verse 18, so I've not begun my message, <laughs> if you want to sleep, you can sleep. Maybe by your sleeping. Yes. People, come, people come to church and they sleep. Some of them are healed of insomnia. 
with revelation. I'm not saying go and intentionally sleep. But when you sleep, it doesn't mean the preacher is powerless. Because even when Elijah and Moses appeared and Jesus was transfigured, James, Peter, and John slept. In the midst of that height of glory, they slept. So if I'm preaching and you sleep, oh, it's cool. Paul, Paul, the prince of preachers, preached and someone slept and died. So, this one I'm preaching and someone is sleeping, I guess so. But now, <laughs> I'm telling you, good company. All right, best uh, way invest twelve or something. Eleven. Yeah, verse twelve. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great cleanliness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face. That the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. My. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaining, the same veil was taken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. The next verse. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall be turned unto to, to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is our spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So now he, he describes Moses. You know, Moses had to use a veil to cover his face. How many of you know that story? Now, Moses received the Lord twice. The first one, when he came, huh, the people had broken the first one. You know, God first spoke and they said, all that God has said we will do. God wasn't happy. Instantly, the day became night. Because man boasted in his own strength that he can use his strength to serve God. So God gave them the commandment. By the time Moses got there, they had already broken the first one. They made a golden calf. <laughs> Moses broke it. Out of his anger, he broke it. Anyway, it was good. If Moses has gone down there with the law, everyone would have died. Like it happened in Beth Shemesh, when they exposed the Ark of the Covenant, 50,000 died instantly. Hmm. Moses broke it. Then God, in his mercy, uh, called Moses back and gave Moses uh, another one. <laughs> So when Moses was descending, his face started shining. Shining. He didn't even know. So as he was coming down, everyone started running away. Even Aaron ran away. <laughs> they all ran away. As he was coming in, they were just running away. Hey! 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 The Bible describes that as the Old Testament ministry. So you have to put a veil before people talk to them. You know why they were running away? Every ray of light exuding from his face was the ministry of condemnation. It was condemning them. Every ray of light was revealing to them that they had sinned. They were stubborn. They were rebellious. Therefore, condemnation is on them. Judgment is coming to them. They were about to die. 
<laughs> Can't imagine you see someone who is glorious, but every shining ray on his face is a reminder of the evil thing you have done. And whenever you see his face, you know judgment is coming on you. You are about to die. God is about to condemn you. So just this seeing his face, they began to run away. Hallelujah. They ran away because his face was a reminder of their rebelliousness and their sins. The Bible calls that the ministry of condemnation. Praise God. No wonder, whenever people feel condemned, they run away like that. Yeah. Whenever people feel condemned, they are in church, but they are not in church. Because they know they've done something, and to them, God is not happy with them. So though they are in church, they are not in church. There are many in their hearts, they are running away. Look, the law condemns the best of men, but grace justifies the worst of men. Aaron, the high priest himself, ran away. Then who should stay? Now, the high priest himself, ha, he was gone. So I, sh- I should stay here. Ha. Come and see speed. We're just running. <laughs> yeah. So, people with, 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 with the, you see, the ministry of condemnation that steals away from us intimacy with God. Whenever you feel guilty or condemned, the result is that you run away from God. Many have stopped church and they are in disco every weekend. Hey, the long time I had a word disco. <laughs> what do we say now? Club. Disco, yes, it's the 90s. So. <laughs> I remember when I was in primary school, then my teacher wrote disco on the board. But he went outside to do something. When he came, when they left, I went to add A to it. I quickly took the chalk and went to add A to it. So when he came, it was at this school. <laughs> and he said, Who did that? And everyone was quiet. <laughs> so I was going to trip everyone and I had to own up. <laughs> this school. So, there are people who are running away because that is why if you make the pulpit the Old Testament ministry by condemning God's people, if God doesn't condemn you even when you are done wrong, you know that. No, 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 He doesn't do that. God doesn't condemn you even when you have done wrong. He doesn't do it. He would have done that in the Old Testament, but something has happened in the He doesn't. Praise God. Yeah, so anything now make you run away, come back. It, it's false. It's just in your mind. <laughs> it's just in your mind. So people are running away. And you know, why, 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 why were they running away? Because he had a law. The law is now abolished. The law deals with what you must do and what you must not do. And understand that your relationship with God has nothing to do with what you do and what you don't do. Praise God. Now, there are some people, they relate to God on the basis of what they have done and what they have not done. That is why your intimacy with God today is up, tomorrow is down. You know why? Some of you think God is excited, happy with you, excited about you 
when you have done a long fast. Now, I just finished 21 days fasting. So I think that God must be happy with me. Uh-huh. But the question is, in all your life, how many times in the year, how many times will you be doing 21 days? Uh-huh. So that uh, it has to be established in your heart. Your standing before God, your stand before God has nothing to do with what you do and what you don't do. There are people, when they have prayed for long hours, they are happy. That God is going to be happy. But don't think that happiness, God is not accepting you on the grounds of the prayer you have prayed. There are people, when they have gone to give a huge sacrifice, they know they are in God's good books and God now is smiling on them. No, your acceptance is not based on what you have done. It's not based on the prayer you have prayed. It's not based on the souls you have won. Your acceptance is not based on any of these things. Yeah. Years ago, I've experienced it myself. My joy wasn't stable. But, of course, when we, in the mid-90s, were taught to win souls every day. So we win souls every day. I know because the way life is, it's not every day you can go out for evangelism. Two of us. So those days I couldn't go. I felt that God had problems with, problems with me. I felt I didn't feel so much happy because God was not. But that's the wrong premise. So your acceptance is based only on what Jesus did. When you establish in it, you can do these things as a consequence of your love and your service, but not for your approval. Jesus Christ is your approval. Are you here with me? Yeah. So it's not based on your fasting, it's not based on your prayer, it's not based on your holiness. Don't think because you are holy, God should hear your prayer or God should accept you. That thought alone is what is making your prayer no head. Christianity is a very, yeah, because now your righteousness is based on your works, not him. That's what he came with the law. So if your, your acceptance to God is based on what you must do, hmm. if you marry and your spouse must accept you based on what you do, hmm. it's not what you do, it's who you are in Christ. At the same time also, your relationship with God is not based on what you do or what you don't do. So when you have even failed, it has changed nothing. Do you hear what I said? When you have failed, nothing has changed. When it comes to your stand before God, nothing has changed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was telling you. <laughs> you know Noah's Ark? Noah's Ark. It's a type of we being in Christ. The Bible says so. Yeah, in 1 Peter 3, 18, 19, 20. The Ark, the Bible says, the like figure, the antitypon, the antitype. The ark is the, the antitype of we being in Christ. Verse 19, verse 20. Verse 20. Now, let's go to verse 19. By which also he went. Verse 20, sorry. Which sometime were disobedient when one the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was being prepared, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure. The antitype, in other words. So we are in the ark, praise God. 
If you are in Christ, you are where? Once you are in the ark, whether you fall or you stand, you fall in the ark. Yeah. If the believer falls, he doesn't fall outside Christ. He falls in Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Hmm. So don't go anywhere. Then you have to be here. Hallelujah. Don't, don't run away. God has forsaken you. I'm telling you that. So what you do and what you don't do doesn't change your stand before God. Because in the first place, you didn't get, you were not made righteous by what you did. So you cannot lose righteousness by what you do. So even when you have done, am I saying going to do wrong? Then you are a very foolish boy. <laughs> what I'm saying is that when you do wrong, that doesn't change your status. It doesn't change it. If you change it, then the work of God in Christ is weaker than the work of God in Adam. And the work of Satan in Adam. Yeah. Do you know that? Let me ask you a question. Before you gave your life to Christ, you were called what? Sinner. You did many good things, is that not so? But did that, did that make you righteous? But now that you are in Christ, you are righteous, right? What about when you, you do wrong things? It doesn't change your state of being righteous. You see, if we say that as a sinner, you are, you are philanthropic, you give a lot of good things, and that can never make you righteous because you haven't received Christ. So the sinner cannot undo his sinnership based on his good works. <laughs> are you are saying that a righteous man can undo his righteousness? It's a very sad thing. You are saying that what Satan did in Adam is greater than what God has done in Christ. <laughs> it's serious. Because we normally look to ourselves but not to Christ. So I'm saying that the righteousness is not based on works. It's not based on good works or bad works. Hallelujah. Yeah. So let's go on. So Moses was coming down and they ran. Now people are running away from God because of guilt and condemnation and because of what they have not done. What they have not done. All right. Let's come to verse 18. Verse 18. But we all. Now take me to ASB. But we all. Now, do, do you understand why? Verse 18. Alright. But, but we all. Now in those days it was only Moses, but now it's we all. Only Moses had the access to stand before God and come in with God face to face. But now it's we all. <laughs> we have better privilege than Moses. We all. We all, we all. And the thing is this. Now, when it comes to access to the Father, they have equal access. Now, Bishop does not have more access more than you. Now, there are some people who come and say that, Pastor, you pray for me because for you, God hears your prayers better. Now, I may have developed my faith, but we, we have the same chance, the same access. You, I can't say I am more righteous than you. That is Old Testament technology. In the New Testament, our righteousness is the same. Our acceptance is the same. Uh -huh. You can't increase in righteousness. 
but you can increase in holiness. Our acceptance before God is the same. Praise God. So we all have equal standing for God. But the next thing is that, but our intimacy with God and closeness to God is, is in different levels. You see, our closeness to God is different. It's in different degrees, different levels. Our acceptance and stand is the same. But our closeness to God or intimacy with God is on different levels. Because God does not determine our intimacy with Him. We determine our intimacy with God. To the degree you want to be intimate with, with the Father is determined by you, not Him. Because He has an open arms. So even in the days of Jesus our Lord, there were degrees of people, degrees of intimacy with even with those who are around Him. Now there was a 70, true or false. Now there was a 70, then there was a 12 disciples. Then there was a three. We called it the inner cycle. James, Peter, and John. And there was one. That's John. So where are you? Are you part of the 70? Or with the 12? Or with the three? Or with the one? <laughs> so when it comes to intimacy, brethren, this is very important. You have to be intimate with the Father. You know what? God spoke to me concerning you. The things I'm preaching is God God has spoken to me about. Yeah. God showed me intimacy. Yeah. He showed me glory and image, of course. But the next thing he showed me was intimacy. That's why I'm showing you how to be intimate with the Father. Uh-huh. So we can choose to be with the 70. We don't even know their names. <laughs> then we can choose to be with the 12. They can choose to be with the three. Now those three, they were close to Jesus, Peter, James, and John. The transfiguration, he said he didn't go with the twelve. He went with the three. The house of Jairus, he went with the three. That same money, he went with the three. Yeah. God has no favorites. He has intimate. Yeah. So you can choose to be closer. Our prayers are heard based on we have equal access. The prayer, the prayer of the righteous man I believe much. He hears all our prayers based on your righteousness, based on your access. He hears that. But intimacy is based on our closeness. So you can be more closer. So as we are all here, some are more closer to God than others. More closer. Hallelujah. But you can decide to be like John. The youngest and the closest to Jesus. And he was always saying the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, he was not saying the disciple who loves Jesus. He was saying the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> That's how to get it. <laughs> he was always mindful of how Jesus loved him. If you're always mindful of how he loves you, before you realize you are loving more. So even Peter, who was. That's why when he died, only John was there. So he could hand over his mother to John. The one who should have taken care of the man is Peter, but he wasn't there. <laughs> you know, Peter was gone. <laughs> Peter was gone. But John, so he leaned on Jesus' breast. If I want Jesus to say one of you will betray me, John went further and leaned on Jesus' breast. He knew it cannot be him. 
And it was only John, Jesus told, who was going to betray him. Read your Bible. It was only John. The rest never knew. The secret of the Lord is for them that fear him. Yeah. So that place is still available. His bosom and his chest, you can still lean on it. And you're talking to him. You have taken advantage of talking and working with the Father. Your prayers to mechanical. Of course, you should pray. Like when you wake up in the morning, of course, people pray. Maybe, Abala, Abala, Abala. It's good to pray, but it shouldn't be every time. Ebala, like we wake up in the morning. Father, Ebala, 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 Swaya, 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 Swaya. Yeah, 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 yeah. The tune of the, of the, of the prayer. Yeah. I remember the year 2001. I went to the park to pray. Then I saw a certain man with a huge towel. I was on the first pool. He occupied the, the, the last pool. So when I say, Haya, then you say, Haya. <laughs> so we started ramming. Haya, 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 haya. And he will come and pass. And I'll go back to midnight. You know that person? Dr. Baini. <laughs> That's how we met, actually. <laughs> but it's, it's good. But your prayer life shouldn't be always like that. Because when it comes to intimacy, That's why some people don't even know when God speaks to them. Some of you want God to speak to you audibly. My son. My son. Today, when thou goest. It's like, almost like God's diction is King James. <laughs> so in, in, in intimacy, eh? now how many of you have seen lovers sitting on the, on the bench? And a guy is telling the woman, I love you! I love you! The, the guy should, should be insane. Uh, lovers, they whisper. They whisper. In the Old Testament, God had to speak audibly, visually, because they were far from Him. He has to use signs and tokens and fire. They were far from Him. Now that we are close to Him, He only has to whisper because He is now happy. So God wants you to just, just talk to him. Talk to him. It's powerful. You know, inward conversations with God. Inward conversation. That AW does that practice what is called inward conversation. You just be talking with God. Yeah. Yeah. That Jesus came to make the way for us to commune with God, the Father. Jesus says, I'm the way. If he's the way, then the Father is the destination. So you have to commune with the Father. Hallelujah. Just talk to him. It's nice. Just talk to him. But we all, so all of us, but we all, 
we all. No, only Moses had the privilege and the rest were running away. But for us, it is we all. We have that privilege. With unveiled face, beholding us in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. Now, in the original Greek, the grammatical construction is in the reverse. Now, when you read it this way, you may think that we have the unveiled face. Praise God. But in, of course, it is implied. But in the primary sense, the unveiled face actually wasn't talking about us. So the Greek goes like this. But we all, beholding us in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, in an unveiled face. It is Moses who veiled his face. He's telling us that today we are beholding Christ, but Christ has not veiled his face. That's the idea here. You understand? <laughs> yeah. So, Jesus' face is not veiled, but Moses had to veil his face because the guys were too guilty. He couldn't even. Now, remember, Moses' face became glorious and the people ran away. How about Jesus Christ? In the month of transfiguration, he was transfigured. The Bible says it came like the sun. It wasn't only his face, but his entire being. And when he was descending, something happened. Mark 9.15. Let me show you the, the, the comparison of these two glories. Mark 9.15. God bless you for listening. We pray that the word of God will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the word. Kindly follow Pastor T and Love Economy Church on all social networks for more of God's word. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pastoti podcast. Simply search for Pastoti on any podcast app, plug in, and enjoy God's word. Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless you.